You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. All right. Welcome to Jerry for Genevieve, Episode 7. I have with me my father, Michael, who also appeared on Episode 3. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. Thank you. All right. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> Uh, Genevieve, love you, buddy. Just a quick uh, recap of uh, the last episode. I was here with um, our neighbor, Brett, who you know, and his kids, Elliot and Julian. And we kind of talked about uh, education, the importance of education, um, the things you're going to come across as far as getting your own education going up and through the world and the importance of uh, that and kind of sifting through knowledge and wisdom and um so we're going to continue that. Uh, I think kind of part of this podcast is trying to gather some of that education wisdom to make it a little bit easier for you. Um, today, I thought we'd stick with um, kind of a part of my life and a part of your uh, grandpa's life that I think um, – I think affected us both greatly. And I think we touched on this on ep- in episode three. Uh, and, and it's kind of the, the military lifestyle and being a part of that growing up, which I think, you know, is just normal for us. We didn't really think of anything of it. Didn't have a choice. No. <laughs> but I think once you meet a lot of people that didn't have that, it, it makes you realize, you know, what it did offer. Um, the pros and cons and what you can be thankful for. Um, but I actually have a note here, um, kind of doing this for the last month or so, uh, trying to, you know, put something out there for Genevieve. Uh, I think it's helped me realize, uh, in large how fortunate <laughs> I was growing up. <laughs> so I would like to, uh, publicly thank you. And mom, of course, for everything you guys did. You're quite welcome. I'm sure uh, I haven't said that enough. But now that you got on tape, you can replay it every morning. Okay. And you'll uh, – <laughs> you can remember. Yeah. But uh, no, and I think just realizing how important that is. I mean, it came up yesterday with education and, um, you know, what kids are learning, what they're not getting maybe from the home life anymore. And – um Maybe how that's taken for granted, definitely by me, because it was all I knew, once again, mm-hmm. something else. Um, but that's definitely appreciated, so thank you. <laughs> um, back to the military, though. So you were in the military for 30, 28, 30 years? How many? 31 years, if you count the academy, four years at the academy, the Air Force Academy. Right. And you were one of the, was it like the third or fourth graduating class from the Air Force Academy? Seventh. Seventh graduating class. Yeah. Flew uh, F-4s out of flight school, uh, made a career out of it. And I think in the last episode we talked about, you talked a lot about integrity and belief structures and how um, the military, you know, that that's a big part of what they do, uh, discipline and integrity, and and doing the right thing, and um, the the work ethic, uh, and I think that's that's huge, and I think I take it for granted, um, and especially when you see people who haven't had that experience. Uh, you realize how important it is. So that's definitely something I would like Genevieve to learn. Um, you know, a number of those aspects is, and we talked about this yesterday on the education part is so many of the things you learn in school. I, I'd, I'd rather someone graduate from high school, have a good work ethic and be determined and be honest and maybe be passionate about learning things. Um, which isn't in any of the textbooks, nope. um, but equally, if not more important. Uh, so I, th- I think that highlights a lot of the pros from military life. And I think that definitely came into um, how we were raised in the home. Um, not only the, the discipline part, but the fact that you had 10 kids, um, I think it made it more of a 
um, you had to have it that way or else it would have been complete chaos to some degree. Uh, but do you want to give kind of like the five-minute spiel on your military career just for some context? Um, yeah, I'd be glad to. The uh, main reason that I got interested in in the uh, – in the military, I guess, really came from <clears throat> I wanted to fly. Yeah. I kind of always wanted to do that. I remember going out with my dad. Um, he was actually took uh, some flight lessons. I don't – can't remember if he ever got his private license or not. But I remember going out one time with him. Um, I was probably only six or seven years old, if that and watching him go up, and I just thought that was really neat. He didn't <laughs> want to take me up <laughs> yeah. or risk that, uh, and I think he went up with an instructor at the time. But that kind of opened my eyes to, to flying, and I thought that was really neat. Um, then, uh, but I didn't know exactly how to go about doing that. Uh, in high school, I thought about being a teacher, I thought about being a minister, and I thought about being a pilot. Mm -hmm. And um, ironically, uh, through the military, I was able to do all three. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was kind of a, uh ironical twist, but it uh, turned out to be a blessing because I was able to do all of those things. Uh, I remember later on with my dad flying down. We were, um, let's see, it must have been in South Bend. Anyway, you know, it was when, when we lived in Chicago. We flew down to uh, Mississippi uh, on a TWA super constellation. It had the triple tail. and <laughs> I mean, So it was I, like you, him, and the pilot? And that's... No, no, it was a commercial airline. Oh, okay. That's good. <clears throat> but we went down there, and I did, uh, that was really a thrill for me. Yeah. And then when we uh, also in Chicago, sometimes we'd go out to the O'Hare Airport and watch the airplanes come in I'd, yeah. with my dad. I uh, didn't do that a lot, but enough that I knew that it, if I could fly, I'd really like to do it. Right. <laughs> and then I remember uh, it was a Sunday. There used to be a Sunday magazine section in the newspaper. And I just happened to open it up, and it <laughs> it just said, Toughest school in the United States, <laughs> <laughs> and this was <clears throat> this is when the academy was just being created. So you were like just in <clears throat> high school or something? Yeah, I was in high school, but yeah. that that was only about the. Let's see, that would have been I graduated in sixty, and yeah. the first class in, at the academy graduated in fifty nine. Yeah. So it was it was really a brand new school, right? But it was a little bit of appealing to me, you know, toughest school in the U.S both academically and physically and <clears throat> all that stuff. and So I, I, I checked into it and um, decided to try for it. You know, like the other academies, you had to get a political appointment. And, mm -hmm. and I got one. Uh, I didn't get an appointment, but I got a nomination. Every congressman has uh, 10, well, actually 11. They have a principal appointee mm -hmm. to the to each of the academies and then they also have um a a primary or an actual uh appoint appointment and some congressmen actually list the numbers mm -hmm. go down one through 10 <laughs> yeah and some just leave it up to the academy to pick from their 10 who they right. want I don't know exactly what transpired, but I was third alternate mm. and had a friend in high school who was sixth alternate, I think, <laughs> sixth or seventh. <laughs> and he ended up going and I didn't. And so I was, I'm assuming that the the academy picked because he was all state in gymnastics. Uh, and I'm sure that that was a, you appealing know, to them. appealing. It should be. I, I I never felt bad about that. Mm -hmm. I had a pretty good scholarship to Northwestern and um, academic, and I thought, well, that's I'm going to go be a teacher. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, 
I already had my room and everything, so I was really close to graduation. Yeah. And then uh, I got this letter from Culver Military yeah. and the superintendent at Culver Military Academy. And he said, why don't you come to Culver and be on the, quote, junior faculty, help coach some of the athletic teams, and take all our honors courses. Culver is an outstanding. And it's school. like a military prep school? It's a military prep school, but it's it's not prepping for the military. Okay, gotcha. There are uh, – most of them are Ivy League school. Right. Bound. Uh, 97% go to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to be fairly rich to go there. I mean, I, I think it's like – Forty five, fifty thousand dollars a year to send your kid there. Right back then, so you weren't going to school there as a student. You're taking mm-hmm. classes there, but you had already graduated and going there as I'd already graduated from <laughs> high school mm-hmm. uh, by the time I went there, and I went right after graduation. So how'd you get on their radar? Because you had applied to the academy. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's a group called the Falcon Foundation mm-hmm. that looks at. Um, People that are qualified to go to the academy but didn't get a political appointment. Mm. And they herd those off to different prep schools. Uh, There were only three of us that went to Culver. But New Mexico Institute had 30 or 40. I had several friends that went that route. Mm. Uh, Bart Holliday, who ended up being a Rhodes Scholar from the Academy, didn't get in his first year either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway. Well, Tom Brady was a six-round draft pick, so it's not well, always. Well, <laughs> and, and, and yeah. Bad. So anyway. But it uh, it turned out to be, and, and again, it goes back to my dad and his influence because um, I got it, I read it, mm-hmm. and I tossed it because I'd already made the decision. Oh, yeah. And it sounded – uh, pulled, it, he, pulled it out of the trash? <laughs> yeah, he did. He, well, he didn't pull it out of the trash, but he said, you might want to look at that a little bit closer. Yeah. So I did. Before you continue, can you just imagine, like, how many, in not tiny details, but if he just held his tongue? Oh, I know. And, and how many times that happens in your life and how big of a – Deal that makes. Oh, uh, <laughs> exactly. In fact, when the letter uh, that, or you know, the fifty-two questions that we've talked about yeah. before, but when I talk about my dad, yeah, uh, that brought back all of those things, and I realized yeah. what an influence he had had in my life, right? And um, <clears throat> for which I'm, you know, again very grateful for. But uh, I went. Um, I, I looked at it. I called. General Spivey mm-hmm. said, you know, this sounds too good to be true because <laughs> he said, uh, we basically can guarantee you'll get into the academy. Oh, that's cool. And I said, well, okay. Yeah. And it was free. The whole year was free. Right. So uh, so that was that was good. And we left right after graduation because we went to summer school there and then all winter school. And then I got in – you know, I guess it was March or April, a letter from Congressional Representative James C. Healy in New York City <laughs> saying I'd gotten his appointment. Nice. Um, because he didn't have anybody from his district, so he turned those over to the academy, and the academy turned them over to the Falcon uh, Foundation, and that's, gotcha. that's how I imagine it, it worked. Just before you go on, I think it's interesting to think too is, I mean, when you were uh, 18 or whatnot in 1960 and you think about flying and I think about flying and how new airplanes are to me only being 100 plus years old. But I mean, that 50 years ago was even, yeah. was even, uh yeah. I mean, I don't know what I would compare that to if people started well, going six, up in spaceships. Six, or sixty years, sixty years, they didn't have airplanes. Sixty years before then. Well, that, and then only what, ten, fifteen years later, they're going to the moon. Yeah. That's yeah. just got to be a, a mind boggling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, I went to Culver, yeah. and um, like I say, I got the appointment, and I left. There were three of us that went. 
uh, two of us ended up going to the academy. And uh, the one that went with me uh, went out on an honor violation in our senior year. Mm. So out of those three that went to Culver, I was the only one to graduate. Graduate. And then went to, um, from there went to to pilot training. And um, really enjoyed pilot training. Your mother and I got married a couple weeks before pilot training started. (laughs) (laughs) So we had a lot of adjusting to do. Uh, And then... uh, your sister Hope came along nine months later, and I was Hope. I was trying to um, learn how to fly, especially back then, fly formation and be a dad and be a dad. <laughs> and she was trying to be a mother, well, and a husband too. I mean, you know, that doesn't come automatically either. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, but I graduated from pilot training and. Uh, uh, Started my Air Force career as a pilot, not quite like I intended, because the way they hand out aircraft slots when you mm-hmm. graduate, um, they go to the number one person in the class. The Air Force comes down with a list of airplanes that right. have to be filled. Number one person in the class gets this first pick. F- first pick. Yeah. Number two gets second pick. I mean, there are five pilot training bases that. So it's the first one in each base. Sure. And uh, I wasn't the greatest pilot, but I, I think I was sixth in my class. Out of? Out of 25, nice. something like that. So I got my first choice, nice. which was a C-141. <laughs> it's a brand-new airplane transport. Oh. Uh, your mother got me a really beautiful Lockheed model, the 141. <laughs> and... We packed up all our goods to go to Tinker yeah. Air Force Base. And it was a cargo plane, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. a brand new one. And yeah. see the world and fly <laughs> around the world and do all that stuff. It really was pretty appealing. Anyway, uh, we went to um, uh, we went to graduation and to the graduation dinner and dance. Mm-hmm. And when I got home that night, I had a call from – MPC, a military personnel center, mm. saying, oh, by the way, your assignment's been changed to F-4's pipeline Southeast Asia. Wow. That night. So all our stuff was headed for Tinker, and we were headed for Arizona uh. to check out Air Force. So. But we survived that. Huh. Plus, we also joined the church that weekend, too. <laughs> uh, big weekend. Big Big weekend. <laughs> But anyway, that's that's how I got to be a fighter pilot. I've never been a um, Top Gun fighter pilot. I enjoyed it, enjoyed the challenge of it. I think it was reasonably good. Right. Um, but I've always – I'd rather make things and put things together rather than blowing them up. Yeah. And I mean that fairly sincerely. I mean, I didn't get any thrill out of sure uh, uh, blowing things up um, or fighting other aircraft, which is what we did in most of Vietnam. We flew MIGCAP, which yeah. was our job was to keep the F-4s off or the, the MIGs off the strike force. Mm. So uh, when I got back, I came home. Uh, I was getting pretty good at flying formation and refueling and all those things because we did them every day. I mean, right. we'd fly a mission. We'd take off from from Udorn early in the morning in the dark at daybreak, refuel on the tanker, go into Hanoi Haiphong, uh, fly mid-camp, and come back, refuel, and come on home. So, I mean, it was a four- four-and-a-half-hour, five-hour mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and only those in the North Vietnam counted for the 100 to come home. So where, where else would you go that didn't count? Oh, we'd, well, Laos, South Vietnam, uh, okay. various other places. 
There we didn't fly mid camp. There we yeah. dropped bombs. So and you told me this before. So basically, you had a year tour or 100 missions, whichever came first, yeah. and you were able to do 100 in about a, nine months. Did you say? Yeah, and that included a, almost a month of going home on. Yeah. Okay. On leave. So, yeah, that was that was a blessing. Yeah. Um, and flew the flew my hundredth mission, and that was probably my last glory <laughs> mission. We landed. And I'd already gone to the front seat by then, mm-hmm. and um, the uh, a Thai girl came out to the airplane. They rolled down the red carpet, had a <laughs> bottle of champagne, uh, and um, which I, <laughs> which I, I'm, I don't know if you remember the video, but uh, uh, I knew the champagne was going to be a. Challenge since I didn't drink, <laughs> and I had had your mom sent me a can of Verner's ginger ale. Sounds familiar. Yeah. I didn't know there's a video of it. Yeah, <laughs> and I got a kick out of it because a squadron commander couldn't believe his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Hit his head, and his sunglasses and hat fell off when he uh, looked up and uh, in surprise. But anyway, mm. came home. Spent another couple years in the F-4 and then had a chance to go back to graduate school. And and then from there went back to the academy to teach for five years on the faculty. Right. And back there I flew the the T-41 and taught English every other day and taught flying every other day for five years, which was kind of fun. Yeah. Because I – you sometimes kind of wonder in English class if you ever teach them anything. <laughs> uh, yeah. But you take somebody that's never flown in an airplane before and teach them how to fly and you can see the practical be, be able to say, okay, it's yeah. your airplane now, go solo. Yeah. That was – that part was satisfying and, and rewarding. <clears throat> and then I flew – went from there and then I was a liaison – Again, trying to take jobs that I would be at home as much as possible. Mm-hmm. From there, I went and was a, an Air Force liaison with the Civil Air Patrol in the state of Kansas. Flew the Cessna 180. And um, that was probably the last of my flying. Um I'd gotten, I was command pilot, which is the highest that you can get based on hours. And then from then on, I chose things that I could have gone back to flying, but um, flying was different then than what it was when we started out. And In what you, way? Well, you couldn't just go off and and fly and <laughs> everything was controlled much yeah. more so and um, there was just other more than not enjoying flying there was just some other things I wanted to do yeah and uh, <clears throat> so from there I went to the University of Iowa was the ROTC commander mm. and uh, um, from there thinking I'd retire there at the University of Iowa and then ended up going to Madrid, Spain for three years when they came out with a rule that you couldn't retire out of the ROTC. (laughs) (laughs) So, and then we came back and came back to Langley. Mm -hmm. And then I was the vice commander of the second aircraft delivery group, which handles all the foreign military sales. And was that there for over five years and then retired from there. So, and that's what I remember. I remember Spain. I remember Langley and then retiring out of there. Yeah. So that, that's awesome because I, I didn't know some of that stuff. So I'm glad that's, uh, recorded. But I, I think the, the point is made that, I mean, having a, a career in there, you know, you got a good feel for it. So, um, I kind of want to go. Um, a little philosophical as far as uh, military. Um, I, I was thinking about it and coming up, and I, I kind of was trying to think of, you know, 
why do countries have militaries and then kind of pulling it back to, you know, a personal level. You know, I think everyone wants to be able to uh, feel safe or protect themselves, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Um, and I think maybe in large part the idea is that the military is an extension of that yeah. to, a, to, you know, f- for a country. Um, and, and so that's great. And and you can discuss the politics of it day and night. Um, but we, so, um, Joel, my little brother, he's, uh, currently a pilot, um, had a number of brothers that decided to make, uh, um, a career out of it. Uh, my older brother, Chip, went to West Point, is Currently serving in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Colorado uh, Josh made a career out of the Army. Uh, a couple people did ROTC. Um, I enlisted for four years, <laughs> which is a different experience. Yeah. I, I, I guess in the business world, you compare that to uh, blue collar versus the white collar side of it. Well, but but, but I found that interesting because I think that probably is a different experience and, and kind of interesting as far as – um, I think people have an idea of the military uh, from the outside if they haven't experienced or lived with it. Um, I mean, it, it seemed like wherever we live, the military was a very close-knit community. It is. And, and I probably didn't even know a lot of people outside of the military, even kids, until I graduated high school because – Usually you're going to school and 80% of the kids there were also on the military. And you get stationed somewhere else and undoubtedly you would run into someone who was also, you know, maybe you hadn't seen them since two assignments ago, yeah, but somehow but they ended up doing the same again. thing. Yeah. 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 So um, so, so, so that was really cool. Um, well, get, getting back, just touching on the enlisted side and the officer side. Yeah. Okay. Um, most people that aren't in the military don't even understand that relationship between right. between the two, even if they know well, that they're different. It's like administration and the worker bees to some degree. Well, it's leadership. Right. Yeah. and Which is actually why Brock's I want to touch, but go ahead. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> the requirements are different. Mm-hmm. Uh to be an officer in the military, you have to have a college education. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the way it is now. It's the way it was when I went to school. Um, enlisted, you don't have to be. Got a grandson now that enlisted. Yeah. Has maybe one year of college and is off in Aviano, Italy right now. He's married and, mm-hmm. and they have a baby and he's enlisted. Um, and uh, But he's learned – a trade is heating and air conditioning and mm-hmm. it'll be very valuable for him when he gets out. Um, but I would say it's the, the range of responsibility is considerably different. Yeah. Um, one is you're making decisions. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody makes decisions on a day-to-day basis, but the main decisions come from the officers. That are right? affecting other people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, basically, uh, officers are paid twice as much. Yeah. Just like uh, blue collar and white collar. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you have a choice oh, sure. of what you want to do. Yeah. And the Air Force is very good about helping um, – Enlisted people and get a college education. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I think that's something we didn't touch on. And I think probably one of the reasons I did go in why I didn't know what I wanted to do is you, you got a job, you got your food and rent paid for, mm-hmm. and you can make as much out of it as you want to that's as right. far as training or education or whatever it may be. Um, but I mean, for people from the outside looking, I do think it's interesting and I, I don't really have experience on the officer side, so I'd be interested in hearing your perspective uh, because the group that made up Enlisted, uh, I met some really cool people, um, but the reasons for being in the military were very varied. <laughs> well, <laughs> that makes that's, sense. That, that's true on the officer side too. 
Yeah, uh, but I, mean, I think you have a lot of people in the public, and they they see the military, and they feel that everyone's there for because <clears throat> they're patriotic. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that might be part of it for everybody, but I I don't think it's all of it for for most people. Oh. I mean, I, I had a, a lot of roommates and people I worked with who were there. Uh, maybe like me because they didn't know what they wanted to do. Maybe wanted to get some training, an opportunity, mm-hmm. and maybe some, yeah, whether it's help with college um, or they want to get out of town or yeah. they're there because a judge said go in the military there or go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> Take <laughs> your pick. Lots of different things. So I, I would think maybe on the officer side, maybe it was more of a um, choice. Y- yeah, yeah. Or because maybe they did have more opportunities. They could have gotten into the private sector or there were maybe more opportunities. But I always thought that was Well, uh, on the officer side, if you look at it that way, uh, you have kind of a trial period. Mm-hmm. You can go to the academy and quit any time up to the first class of your junior year and have no obligation. Right. You can do the same thing in ROTC. So you get a you get uh, you get a pretty fair look at what you're getting into and can decide do I want this or do I not want this. Right. Um, on the enlisted side you kind of sign up over the desk and and you're off to basic. Yeah. Yeah. And with a four-year commitment. Right. So that's a difference. Which, which, and that's another thing, too. You get into a lot of people and, and they don't realize what a four-year commitment is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's also something I'm thankful for because, sure, I grew up in a house, a military household or whatever you want to call it. But actually going in, I, mean, I think that reinforces it in a different way. Uh, the, the whole discipline aspect and you know whatnot that I'm I'm thankful for, um, but what was the last thing you mentioned? Mm. There's a comment I want to say on it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, you remember the comment, and I'll remember what I said. <laughs> it, 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 it'll come back to me. Um, nah. Completely lost it. What were we well, saying? well, we were talking about uh, the in the on the officer side. You get a chance to look. Oh at what yeah, you're doing. the commitment part. I mean, uh, as much as people hated it, the fact that they couldn't get out. I think for me and for a lot of people, that's the most the best part of it. Right. You're forced to stick to something for <laughs> four years. Yeah. Um, which I think can be extremely valuable. And I mean, you look around and you see countries where, um, you know, military service is mandatory. Yeah. And Is- I don't, Israel, Korea. Yeah. And, and I don't think maybe that's the answer because I'm not sure I want people who don't want to be there, you know, defending, defending you. me. <laughs> but I do see some value in even, um, you know, some type of government, government service. position, whether it's the yeah. post office or a state agency or the military, because I think there's a huge learning opportunity there. Um, you know, well, transition and, you from and it, and it comes high back, school to the workforce. Yeah, <clears throat> it comes back to something we alluded to a little bit earlier, and that's that. You know, whether you call it patriotism or gratitude or whatever, mm-hmm. I mean, we live in an amazing country. Yeah, it's a free country. Um, it's a rich country, mm-hmm. partly because of the principles that that we've upheld. Um, and I feel, uh, like I say, call it patriotism or whatever you want to call it, but I feel a little bit of a responsibility to pay back for that privilege mm-hmm. of living here. Um, you can pay it back in a number of different ways. You can pay it back by being a policeman or a fireman, a place where you, to risk to some degree, um, with a particular skill mm-hmm. to preserve this country that we have. Right. And to preserve the people in it, to preserve those freedoms. Um, and I think the military is is a good place to do that because there are so many opportunities to go so many different directions. Mm-hmm. Um and the Air Force 
or the military is very generous. I mean, uh, where else? Not only did I get a full scholarship to the Air Force Academy, um, which comes out to about $300,000 a year now for a graduate, I think. It's two fifty when I went there, and it's probably more now. In fact, I think Joel, when they said, was something almost close to four hundred thousand. But anyway, doesn't to make any difference. Train a pilot, basically. No, no, to, no that's oh, the cost of the, That's gotcha. the cost of the education. Um. So, and then when I went back to graduate school, uh, all I had to do was compete to do that. But once selected to go, I was I got my full salary. I got. Flight pay. Yeah. I got uh, my books paid for, tuition paid for, everything. Mm-hmm. And and that was a nice way to go because mm-hmm. even though I we had a family by then and see Matt, oh Chip Eve, Matt, uh, four kids. Yeah. And um, I was free to not have to worry about providing for the family during that year and a half that I was in graduate school. Right. Uh, I could give a full attention to that. And I had the opportunity to to do the same thing for a PhD. Mm-hmm. But I turned it down for several reasons. Not because it wasn't a good deal. Right. But because it's the same same way. They pay you for another two and a half years of education, mm-hmm. full salary and every all the bennies. Um but for me, being a pilot, it meant probably Vietnam was still going on. I was probably going to go back for another combat tour, uh, go back into the cockpit for another three years. And I'd been around long enough to know that policies change. Right. I could have done all of that and found out that, you know, the PhD slot wasn't available. Right. So I didn't want to risk it. Uh, we talked about it. Your mother and I talked about it, and we decided not to to do that. Plus, uh, PhD program is again you don't have a lot of family time. Yeah, you're busy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of um, sacrifices involved with the military as well. Like you said, I mean, uh, and we've seen, I've seen. Brothers, um, with varying you know deal with deployments and whatnot, mm-hmm. and um, so it, it, it's a good deal. But you're definitely um, giving up so or or putting yourself out there to give up to it. And but but just like you said, I mean you're you're kind of sacrificing that to pay a debt. Yeah, In yeah. Um. So that's great. One thing I, I kind of want to touch on, I think something that Genevieve might be able to take away from here and be interested to hear your thoughts. <clears throat> and it seems like it's um, very um, – it, it goes right along with the military, but a lot of other kind of like structures that we're part of is this this chain of command idea, uh, which I, have found, I find very interesting because you, you see it everywhere. But the military is great at chain of command and has to be for obvious reasons. But I think you see this in just about every aspect of our lives. So, you know, you have, um, you know, your superior and they have their superior and they have their superior all the way to the top. Uh, And and just the pros and cons of that and, and kind of understanding and thinking about that because you do run across it in so many facets of your life. Um, I mean, whether it's in your family and it's your older brothers and sisters and parents, grandparents, whatever it may be, whether that's at work and your bosses or the people working for you or your coworkers, whatever it may be. Um, at church. At church, yeah, absolutely. Um, all the way to the top. And politics, all the way to the top. Military, all the way to the top. But I, I think um, the military... Um, it is a good place because it's so simplified and, and yeah, obvious. And so you do what you're told because it's because in the certain situations, there's not time to question stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I think that's interesting to think about because 
people are always questioning things and they want to know why they're doing things. And, um, it, which I think is good to question why you're doing something. But then also at some point in time, you can't question everything. You can't be at every level and be gathering information and making the decisions. Um, so, so I guess just coming to terms with that to some degree, because I, I think a lot of it is what, what you're doing things for, but also the people you're you're working with and and performing for. I mean, um, I mean, you could be you could have a boss that um, is a great person to work with. And it makes all the difference in the world. And may, maybe that prevents you from questioning things because you respect their leadership like you talked about. Um, you know they're the kind of person that's going to make the right decisions. Um, you, you, you realize that if you don't understand all the facets that maybe they're, uh, they have more information and they're going to make the right decision there. Um, and that, that would go all the way up to the top, I guess. Um, another reason that I mean, all the other things you've talked about, integrity and character are are so important because um, whether it's the people above you or below you, they've, they've got to know you're the person they can count on or trust to, to make those right decisions. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think what you – what we would all like to think is that we're working for somebody – that is at least as smart as you are, right? If not smarter, who has more experience, and will be making the right decisions. Yeah, it's much easier to support somebody who you like, mm-hmm. who you feel is making the right decision. Respect, and uh, but even in, you can have somebody that you like and disagree with. But yeah. when you when you mm-hmm. join an organization, whether it be the military or a company or whatever, or mm-hmm. a church, uh, there's a structure there, mm-hmm. and you kind of buy into it. You say, "Okay, I'm I'm willing, um, I'm willing to work in this environment." I always have the the choice of quitting. Right uh, in the military, that's not. Quite eventually, true. Do. <laughs> yeah. um, but as long as as um, I mean, I draw the line. I in in the Air Force, I was willing to do whatever I was asked to do, as long as I didn't feel it was an immoral act. Right. Okay. That's where I personally drew the line. Mm-hmm. I never had to face that. Um. And I'm glad because that's a tough decision because basically you're court-martialed. If you, yeah. yeah. Um, as far as a chain of command goes, I think uh, it's how you decide to fit into it regardless of what level you're right. at. And I <laughs> – I have a very simple philosophy because I'm a simple person. But I, my philosophy of of leadership and working, uh, and I think I've probably expressed this to you, maybe not for a while, but I have three eyes. They all start with I. First two were easy, and the third third one I had to fudge a little bit because I couldn't think of something that started with I. <laughs> but I knew the principle. First person, the first principle is what we've talked about before is integrity. Mm-hmm. If a person doesn't have integrity, uh, I don't want to follow him and I don't want him to follow me. Right. Okay. I don't have, I don't want him on either end. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I expect to give that back to them. Yeah. As well. Okay. So, number one's integrity. Number two um, I always felt that to be successful in any job, and this sounds kind of trite, but it's real, I think. And that's I'm always looking for a way to improve 
what we're doing or what I've been asked to do. I, I don't want to try it at all. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to just do it. I want to do it really well. Sure. Partly selfishly because I think that's the way to show that, you know, I ought to be promoted, I ought to be whatever. Um, and I can think of a number of examples of that mm-hmm. in my, my career where I've tried to, tried to do that, um, both in the military and elsewhere. That just seems natural to me, you know, that I'm not just there to be a a body a cog. That, that, that does certain things mechanically, yeah. but I'm there to continue to look for ways to improve what we're doing. That came up yesterday. I mean, if you're going to be there for however many hours, you might as well. Yeah, you might as well contribute. Try to excel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, that's the second one. Mm-hmm. The third one's where I had to fudge a little bit. <laughs> Couldn't think of a word that started with I. Um, but it's the word I chose was involvement, mm-hmm. to be involved with the people that you work with, above you and below you. Mm-hmm. And if I work for somebody, my attitude is going to be how can I make him successful? And on the other end, it's kind of the same thing. The person that works for me, how am I going to help him or her be successful? Right. Okay, so, you know, you're giving on both ends. But I think the return comes in helping both sides become successful. Sure, because that's going to come back to you anyway. Well, not always, but... You've done what you can do. More often than not, though, probably, yeah, right? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, I know. I <laughs> When I went to Mongolia for those four years, uh-huh. I shared that with uh, the Mongolian staff that I had. I had about 25, 30 Mongolians. Right. And I, I mean, this was, I left in 2009, so 10 years ago, and I met my assistant, in Salt Lake this last summer. And I asked her, and yeah, she still remembered the three eyes, and she said, you know, <laughs> you bet. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it's a working formula. Yeah. Regardless of whether you're in the military or whether you're a cop or whether you're a street cleaner. Yeah. Um, well, I like how you pulled it together because I had an idea in my head that I didn't, yeah. that I didn't verbalize very well at all. I, I think partly I was trying to th- Trying to get, try, trying to relay, you know, wh- when you're told something, more, more of just like information wise or education wise, uh, whether it's questioning the information you get or maybe not taking information from someone and just accept it as truth without, you know, but then again, um, maybe given more, uh, credibility to, you know those people that you do trust. I mean, I mean, because you can't verify all the information. No, you so can't. You prioritize it somehow. But you can. You can feel good about. Um, well, that doesn't mean you can't uh, disagree. In fact, if you oh, sure. if you if you are trying to make your boss successful, the way mm-hmm. you one of the best ways is to be honest with him. Oh yeah, and get. Gather the facts be, and yes, allow ma'am. him to make make the decision. Sure. But that's true of the person below you too. Yeah, and um, so there, there's room. But in the military, it's a very fine line. Once you've <laughs> right. once you've done that, and you receive an order, mm-hmm. you do it. Right. Even if you are saying inside, this isn't going to work. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully, it's not uh, life risking. Right. Sometimes it is. Right. In combat. Yeah. I mean, I you know, <laughs> the example I think I've shared it before, but you know, when we were on a, a mission in in uh, North Vietnam, we were coming over uh, Mig Ridge and coming down. 
uh, from Hanoi, and we, for some reason, our squadron commander got lost somehow. It was mm. probably his backseater. That and you're all following was, him. We're all following yeah. him. Flight a, a four ship, mm-hmm. and we fly right over downtown Hanoi. Hmm. I mean, you know, when the cloud cover, you don't yeah. see anything. Right, we're above the clouds. Anyway, we had sixteen SAM missiles fired at us, oh. and uh, we had the capability. If you saw the missile, you could outturn it. In other mm-hmm. words, we could pull more G's than the missile could. Mm-hmm. The SAM missile had very little. It could be directed, but it was, number one, it was high speed. Number two, it couldn't turn very fast. You guys have like those flares or whatever that they release? Is that a real thing? <laughs> well, see those on movies. Uh, the SAM missile looked like a white telephone pole mm. and you see the fire behind it. So what um, happened? Well, uh, to this day, I mean, none of us were hit. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the uh, and I, it's pure speculation, but my feeling is that they were so surprised to see a four ship fly <laughs> over their that they no one's they, this they, dumb. <laughs> they they launched those things without you know checking all the systems. But uh, an interesting <clears throat> correction to that, yeah, is. Route Pack 5 and 6 were the most dangerous areas. It was Hanoi and Haiphong. Mm-hmm. And um, it was interesting the way it was handled. The squadron commander was never assigned Route Pack 5 or 6 again. It's fair. <laughs> Everybody thought it was fair. <laughs> I think even he thought it was fair. <laughs> nothing was Might ever been his idea. <laughs> nothing was ever nothing was ever said at the lieutenant level or I I, I made captain when I was over there, but hmm. he was a lieutenant colonel. Oh, well. He he he's the one that that uh, on my hundredth mission that can I believe it? Well, yeah. <laughs> Knocked his hat off in his sunglasses when he saw my furnished ginger ale. Uh-huh. But anyway, so, the, you know, there's some corrections within that system. Yeah. But uh, I've had some – only had one person that I really just didn't like. Mm-hmm. I uh, didn't think he was a good leader. didn't think he was honest. Didn't think, you know, like I've said before, I – I'm put up with incompetence, but lack of integrity, I have a hard time with. Right. Hmm. Well, we only have a, a couple minutes left, and uh, I appreciate you pulling this thing together because um, it feels like I didn't verbalize my thoughts all that well. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to think of, and feel free to chime in, um, you know, something to, to uh, takeaways from um, this conversation. Uh, I don't think it has to be military in general. Um, One thing we didn't touch on that yeah. that I think is integral to the military, and that's discipline. Yeah. Um, discipline, I think, is a key to success mm-hmm. in almost every field. Yes. And uh, there's a book that, uh, I'm trying to think of it. I can't think of it right offhand, but basically it talks about discipline. And I remember the statement being said that um, with with no discipline, it's almost impossible to accomplish anything. Right. With real discipline, it's almost it's possible to accomplish almost everything. Yeah. And I think that's true. Uh, discipline is staying focused. Uh, from beginning to end, mm-hmm. uh, having this desire to do it, seeing the value of it. And um, is it easy? Sometimes it's easier than others, but uh, it's not easy. If it were really easy, everybody would do it, <laughs> and not everybody yeah. has discipline. So what's the best way to teach that to a five-year-old? Because I think there's a difference between um, – you know, being st- 
strict and not having any freedom and discipline. In combat. Um, There's a difference between being, you know, them following orders and and them being like self-motivated discipline, right? Well, I'm talking about self-motivated. Yeah, me too. So so other than just giving them opportunities to – Okay, I, to show that to I would to say, reaffirm it to praise it when they do do it. All those things are positive things. Yeah, but I think the thing that is paramount to all of that is example. Yeah, and if the example's there, <clears throat> then it's easy to teach. Yeah, uh, the. Um, the other thing, and you probably, I'm sure you remember this too. We, we had the oak stick at home. <laughs> um, remember what was on the two ends of the stick? No. Okay. <laughs> what was it? <laughs> she. Maybe, maybe if you describe it, it'll come back to me. It's about this long. It was about a, three quarters of an inch by an inch. Uh huh. And on one end, it had choices. Oh, that sounds right. And consequences? And on the other end, it had consequences. Yeah. I do remember. I haven't seen that in forever, though. You yeah. still have it? I I don't yeah. think I have it. Was it like I a paddle? <laughs> no, it wasn't a paddle. I mean, it was like, kind of looked like that, right? Yeah, like well, it was thing. a stick. <laughs> it was a stick. That, that, that does sound familiar. But, I think I've seen a couple of But things. when you think about it, um, that's what discipline is. Yeah. In the sense that you're choosing to do this because that's what you want. Yeah. And you're not doing this because it's something that you don't want. Right. So you're free to choose. Mm-hmm. But you've got to accept the consequences. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because you could really break your day into a thousand different decisions. Sure. And uh, most of them yeah. are tried and tested, though we know how they work. Yeah, it's, but but a lot of them are small, and but they build over time. Yeah, and, and a lot of them seem inconsequential. I think. Yeah. But when you make that decision, um, you know, a thousand times in a row, it adds up to something big. But that's where the example and the counsel and yeah. being a father comes in. Yeah, I agree. The. Uh, I never felt that our monthly interviews <laughs> went quite as like I would have wanted them to. They weren't storybook. But just the willingness – and you do a really excellent job, both of you, with Gigi. Um, you take time to explain. You take time to be with her. And, and in one sense, um, you can – it's a little easier to focus on one than it is to focus on ten. ten. <laughs> Yeah. But the opportunities there, and uh, but I think that's where example comes in too. Because if you're the example, then 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 you really have, or I had eight examples. Because if they're following your example, yeah, well, then, that, that, that's true. I mean, true it's too. kind of a yeah. snowball effect. Um, but the uh, um, the value of example and teaching, and of course. Part of that choices and consequences is rewarding the right, right sure. thing, sure. and with the right reward. Yeah, uh, and um, it's really fun to see it when it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you still have. I mean, this is a, a basic gospel principle, and I and I think a truth whether you accept the gospel or not, and that's that we are free to choose Yeah, for the most part, especially in this country, and a whole wide array of things. And for the most part, we know what the consequences are when we make the choices yeah. or what we're risking when we make right. a given choice. And that's what it really, really comes down to. And that's where integrity comes down to. And... Uh, why some people are very successful and some people never are because yeah. they've never learned to accept that, that their choices and consequences. They've never learned to accept the importance of integrity. The only other thing that we didn't talk on that I think is 
is really relevant, and that's the work ethic. But yeah. that comes through example too. You learn, I and think that's, that's part an of offshoot of discipline. It right? is. It it yeah. it very much is. Uh, the two work hand in hand. If right. <laughs> if you're disciplined, then you are able to work and see the see the, the value and, and the fruits of it as, as you work. So, in the military, getting back and just summarizing the military, the military provides the opportunity to develop mm-hmm. integrity and a good worth at work ethic right. and the experience to be successful. And in the sense of of uh, fulfilling whatever job you have, to do it in a manner that's both satisfying and fulfilling to you as an individual, but is also of a benefit to those around you. I think that's an excellent way to finish up, and I think that uh, uh, yeah, it gives gives you the opportunity. Um, and so, Genevieve, while I wasn't very smooth in guiding this today, I think maybe that's a good takeaway is regardless of the situation you find yourself in, um, it is that there is opportunity there and maybe it's up to you to find it. And maybe the way to maximize that regardless is with integrity and discipline. Um, but we'll, we'll touch on this more. There's a bunch of stuff we didn't get to, but, um, very enjoyable. Learned a couple of new things about Grandpa. And uh, until next time, Genevieve, love you. And that's it. Love you too, Genevieve. <laughs>